Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. We do management, promotion, and booking. If you are in entertainment and I can help you in any way, please feel free to get in touch. Check out nhte.net and explore the site. Also, be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. Besides that website, you can also find the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Los Angeles, my guest, wow, where do I start? He is known as a saxophonist slash guitarist for the likes of Supertramp, Pink Floyd, and Toto, among others, and actually plays several other instruments and sings, too. He is also the CEO, president, and co-founder of Ignited Network, which is a music accelerator that we will talk about today. He is an invited guest lecturer and panelist at numerous new media conferences and university symposium, and was named one of the top 100 multimedia producers by Multimedia Magazine. You have been hearing Us and Them by Pink Floyd. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Scott Page. Hey, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me on the show. That was quite an intro, buddy. <laughs> I did my homework, yes. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. We're going to have some fun. Um, thank you for making time to talk with me today. And it is absolutely a regular routine here on NHTE to start off by having the guest talk about the song that we played during the intro. So in your case, tell the listeners about Us and Them by Pink Floyd and, and why we're playing that on a Scott Page interview. Well, you know, actually, people always ask me, what was my favorite song playing with Pink Floyd? It was always Us and Them. Uh, it's such a great song to play for the saxophone. There's a lot of saxophone in that song, so it's it's actually one of my favorites to play. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually a major Pink Floyd fan, obviously, after playing <laughs> quite a few years but uh you know gilmore is my guru and uh so i mean it's just you know it's just a great song and i've always enjoyed playing that it was one of the most fun ones to play for sure nice. i would always really look forward to that that song when that night would come up yep well there is absolutely uh, a whole lot that i hope that we can cover today this show is aimed largely at aspiring performers and i know that you've got a lot of wisdom to tap into that way but for those who listen to this show purely for entertainment, the music fans out there. I want to talk about a few of those bands that I mentioned in the intro. In particular, in preparation for today's interview, I was reading that in 1986, when David Gilmour asked you to come out with Pink Floyd for the Momentary Lapse of Reason tour, you immediately joined the band in Toronto for rehearsals. So here's what I'm wondering. Back on episode 169 of this show, Buck Johnson talked to me about when he got the call from Steven Tyler to come join Aerosmith on tour, and he described to me a whirlwind of suddenly having to learn all their songs and be ready to hit the stage in a matter of no time. And this could actually be a teaching moment for the listeners who are aspiring performers, by the way, with a lesson of you never know when the call will come, so always be ready. So, Scott, just like Buck Johnson with that Aerosmith story, was it the same thing for you with Pink Floyd, or did you have, quote-unquote, the luxury of time? Um, I actually had the luxury of time. And what's kind of interesting is I truthfully, during that period, uh, really knew very little about Pink Floyd. Wow. Uh, it was very interesting. Um, I actually almost didn't take the gig uh, because I was uh, my background is I really came out of the school of, you know, like Junior Walker and Stevie Wonder and sort of the R&B world more than sort of what I would call the sort of the, the trippy, I don't know, rocky kind of uh, ethereal kind of stuff. So um, it's actually interesting. I was playing with Supertramp at the time, and Dave Gilmore came out and did a uh, put a solo on the Supertramp record. And then uh, I invited him that night afterwards to a gig I was playing just down the street uh, from Rick Davies' house. And he came over there, and we hung out. And then uh, he came to an event a week later that I did called the uh, the, the First Dance, which was, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was called the First Dance, which was a, uh, uh, a thing I did at Guitar Center where I had a 50-piece band made up of, you know, all the Super Tramp guys, Toto guys, Tower of Power guys. It was a, a big event that I did there that I shot in what I called visual sound at the time, which I was experimenting with, which was uh, 
uh, marrying sound and picture together with zooming microphones and mm. bass tripod systems and all this stuff. I've kind of been an inventor and in really putting sound and picture together through the years. So anyway, Dave came to that event. A couple days later, he called me up to come put some uh, put a solo on, uh, come over and put the solo on Dogs of War. And uh, there's a long story that goes on with that. Uh, but uh, in, in, in uh, just to kind of get it across, I, I went in there, I did the played on the record, got the solo. They put the, I ended up getting the solo because uh, they had a whole bunch of different saxophone players I just play on. And then a few days later, I got a call from Dave um, to come and join the band. And I kind of said, yeah, let me let me think about it, Dave. So I called a couple friends of mine up and I said, oh, I got a call from uh, Dave Gilmore to come play on Pink Blood. Everybody's like, you're crazy if you don't do that. <laughs> you know, you're nuts if you don't do that uh so uh i went out that night to tower records bought all the pink floyd records came home listened to them and then uh ended up calling back said yeah let's go because wow. you know it was a big commitment to leave you know you're you're talking about almost it was a two-year tour so that's a big commitment when somebody says yeah. hey you're ready to join the band we're gonna go out for two years <laughs> it's like oh my god you know it's funny they didn't know a lot but very thankful that i did but i did have plenty of time uh you know we flew we we rehearsed in Toronto out of the um, out of the air out of a big airplane hangar. It was interesting because they used to have to bus us like, between you know flights taking off to get us out to this hangar, uh, <laughs> and it was kind of it was really wild because we'd be sitting there, the gates would be you know the big doors on the thing would be opened up, and you'd see seven forty sevens going by, taxiing by, and uh, <laughs> we had flying pigs and you know, beds <laughs> flying. And, uh, it was wild. It was really something. And I knew once I saw what was going on there, this was a big deal. Yeah, and pay no attention to that band rehearsing over there. Just keep your planes yes. moving. <laughs> yes. So that was really something because, I mean, you know, the, the the size of and the scope of what Pink Floyd does is pretty extraordinary, especially at the time. You know? And you actually did go out and buy all of their records? Yep, I went out that night. At, like That's when Tower Records was open 24-7 <laughs> when you had a record store, and I... Went and bought them all, wow. brought them home, and started listening to them. And yeah, wow. and actually, it was a great gig. I mean, as far as playing, it was probably the easiest job I ever had. Uh, mainly because Gilmore just pointed to me and said, "Play solos." That's wow. all I really had to do. So I played a lot of solos. I mean, I had to learn the guitar parts and things, but that was mostly just rhythm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, just rhythm basically behind him. And that was always, you know, always a tr the, one of my favorite things that i think about playing rhythm was was playing uncomfortably numb and i used to wander over in front of dave's amp and stand there as he did those solos uncomfortably numb and i'm telling you that was exciting because i could just feel the energy popping off mm. those speakers on my back wow right? it was wow. loud it was great you know he's he's the man that yeah. boy wow well, I mentioned Supertramp in the intro, and, and you had just made a reference to them. You had actually been playing with them from 1983 up until the Pink Floyd opportunity. Fast forward to more recent times, and I went and saw Roger Hodgson in concert, I want to say maybe five years ago, maybe six years uh -huh. ago. I know he has, or, or at least at the time he had, a sax player on tour. Is there ever yeah. a phone call from him asking you to perform in his concerts, or are you in touch with him at all in 2018? Not not recently. Um, you know, I've been so focused. I've been a my big thing has really been my business. You know, I'm a, a serial entrepreneur and I'm, I teach startup businesses to mostly to artists and stuff. We can talk about that a little more. Um, you know, last I did play on a couple of Rogers records that he called me to do and I flew up there and played on some of those. That was a while ago. Uh, but really haven't been that much in touch with him for quite a bit. I think I saw him at NAMM show maybe four or five years ago was the last time I talked to Roger. Mm, okay. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't round things out with some talk of Toto, who I know is still uh -huh. out there playing. Is there any one story or, or any big takeaway from your time with them? Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, playing with Toto was a really big deal for me. I actually... I grew up with the, with David Page and Jeff Beccaro because I, I got in a kids band when I was in high school with them called Merciful Soul Band. Mm. And um, I was a trumpet player at that time. I played the uh, the second trumpet parts. I was horrible. I wasn't very because <laughs> I was studying at that time to be an architect and I was studying and I was working actually got work uh, at um, doing drafting for a company called Audiodyne drawing exploded views and that's those are the days you had to use a pencil and a paper right <laughs> no 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 computers nothing like that so it was a different time 
And I got in that band with those guys, and uh, we started winning all the Battle of the Bands. It was kind of a Chicago Blood, Sweat, and Tears kind of band at that mm-hmm. time, because that was a hot thing. And, I mean, Jeff was the guy that really, you know, got me into the music. Because once I did that, I realized I wanted to be a musician. So I, uh, I saw, you know, Jeff and those guys take off. Um, and, you know, Jeff was doing, uh, like, Sonny and Cher show and all these shows. And at the time, we had actually had a couple record companies come after us. But the parents, the kids, we were too young, and they didn't want us to sign record deals in those days. Uh. So I uh, really became a full I went, you know, crazy about, you know, 24-7 becoming a musician. I started to study like crazy, studying with a variety of teachers and just lessons and playing gigs and everything I could possibly do. And then I, and I, at that time, I switched to becoming a saxophone player uh, about 1970, what was that, 73 or I guess, something like that. And then I just was full-fledged there. But Toto, the great thing about Toto was, is you know, well, for me anyway, was that after that I was the worst guy and then I studied and then like, you know, 15 years later I got the call from Jeff <laughs> to come join the band. That was like one of the most thrilling moments in my life because, I, you know, these are my heroes and my gurus as far as musicians. I mean, I don't think anybody, anybody that knows Toto will realize, you know, those are like serious musicians. Like these are like real players and Jeff was my all-time hero. And so people say to me, what was the best thing of playing with Toto? And I said, I got to play Cowbell on four songs <laughs> with Jeff Beccaro. For those out there that might be drummers that really understand, Jeff is probably one of the greatest drummers of all time. Uh, you know, his time was incredible. He was probably on, I think there was like 5,000 records before he passed. I mean, it mm. was amazing, you know, on the records. I mean, he's a piece of history. But his time was so good, and I was such a fanatic about the time I... I ate, drink, sleeped metronomes and had one of the very first five Lynn drum machines when drum machines came out. So the groove was always very important to me. And, and kind of getting the approval from Jeff to play cowbell with him on those tunes was a big deal. Nice. So, as far as Toto, I mean, there's a, there's a million stories of the great guys. <laughs> Luca, there's a, he's a, the coolest dude. We had more fun than any human being, and we're all alive to talk about it. Let's put it that way. That's awesome. That's good stuff. Yeah. It's a small yeah. world after all. Scott and I were connected by actually two mutual acquaintances. Plus, last August when I was in Anaheim for a major podcasting conference, Scott's name came up, and it was immediately celebrated by the director of marketing for Tascam. Those of you who listen to this show regularly know that I record using all Tascam gear. Back on episode 205 of this show, Roy Orbison Jr. told me that not only has he used Tascam equipment, but that his dad, the late, great Roy Orbison, had used Tascam stuff as well. You can, too. You don't have to be a rock and roll legend. All kinds of solutions for musicians of all levels. Check out all they have to offer. Microphones, headphones, recorders, mixers, audio interfaces, audio for video, and a whole lot more. Go to Tascam.com, T-A-S-C-A-M.com to see everything that they've got. And I've used Tascam for years myself. I had Tascam machines back in the day, one of the eight tracks, the early days. I actually had the early T-Act before it became Tascam, the first four-track quarter-inch. Remember those? Four-track quarter-inch T-Acts. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, one of our mutual acquaintances had mentioned to me about you having been at Social Media Marketing World. I want the listeners to start hearing about the business side of Scott Page. What had brought you out to that event. Why does Scott Page go to social media marketing world? Uh, well, it's interesting. You know, uh, while I was out on Pink Floyd, I figured I'm going to be out for two years, what I'm going to do. So I really wanted to study business. And so I took the opportunity at that time to read a lot of business books and kind of really plan on what it was to build a business, get into the startup world. It's actually funny. Dave Gilmore used to ask me, uh, what are you doing? I said, hey, I'm reading these business books. Dave, I'm going to have me a business when I get off the road here. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, okay, sure, kid. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I studied that stuff throughout there. I ended up starting a company, and then I actually started it with Bob Ezrin, who was the producer of Pink Floyd. And we had a great run. It was a company called Seventh Level. We took that public. It was a NASDAQ-traded company. And Probably one of my favorite things that uh, my most, I guess, uh, treasured things that I've done in my life is I produced the world's first interactive cartoon. Mm. And so I've always been on the bleeding edge of technology and got into tech companies. I've, I've launched four companies now. I'm on my fourth startup, which is Ignited. 
Uh, but I love that. I love business and I love the idea of this. And I've, I've, uh, you know, for artists, I saw this opportunity. I was doing a radio show, uh, with a called business rock stars with a gentleman by the name of Ken Rakowski. And we did about, oh, about 150 shows. And I met with a lot of artists on those shows because they'd come on. I was the music mentor. And, uh, through that, I developed a whole process uh, around business for artists because I realized Artists have to think today like a startup. I mean, I believe this is the greatest time in history for the independent artist. Difficult, yes, not easy, but you have the opportunity to build audience now and monetize that audience and go direct. You don't need the third, you don't need yeah, that middleman. Yeah. Uh, so this is really great opportunities. But, I mean, there's definitely a lot of work and things that have to be done. You have to get educated. So I built a process I call SPACE, which stands for Story plan, army, conversion, education. And I taught this last year out at USC because I went out there and lectured a few times and they said, geez, nobody's teaching this stuff. Who hmm. did you come out and teach it? So I taught a class on this. And so what I'll do is, since there's a lot of musicians out there, what I'll do is I can walk through this real quick to give them an idea of what it is. Mm-hmm. So story, plan, army, conversion, education. Story is probably the most important thing any artist can do first and a couple reasons number one your story is what makes you stand uh, above uh, rise above the noise because that's the biggest issue you have out there in the world is how do i how do i how do i get above everybody else because you know you can't give music away barely give it away anymore it's free i can't sell music so what do i sell so part of it is is how do i rise above the noise and that's the story and i mean by story i don't necessarily mean Hey, I'm a guitar player from Cincinnati. I play in all these bands, blah, blah, blah. I write songs. That's Everybody has that story. I'm talking about what do you stand for? What's unique about what you're doing? And what problem are you solving? Mm-hmm. So I ask, that's my first question I ever ask every artist. What problem are you solving? And the first thing they look at me, they say, what do you mean? What problem am I solving? I, <laughs> I sit around and smoke fatties and write songs. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, they probably tell you the problem I'm solving is I'm giving these people good entertainment. And it's like, well, I expected you to say that. Wrong. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, you know, again, part of it is, is in order to create a commercial movement, you got to create a rally cry and to have... To create a rally cry, you got to create something that people will to get behind. So I always tell artists, think about that story. Is there a problem you can solve? Is there a charity? Is there something that you can get involved with that you can use your talent music where you're actually contributing in some sort of way? From that, once you know that, now I have data. I have key words, key phrases, key things. And now I can use growth hacking techniques and ways to go find my audience. So that's a big deal. So once your story's in place, it's not just about the story and what you're saying. It also gives us data points that we can go out and use technology now to go actually find the people that care about what you do and put you in front of them. Why? Because the chances of you converting them into a customer, again, I call fans, a fan is a fan, but a real fan is a customer (laughs) because (laughs) otherwise it's a hobby, right? Am I making money at my business? I mean, it can be a hobby and I can have fun and go play. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's something you want to do on a full-time basis, you have to really think like a startup, think business-wise. And how, and how. Yeah, once the story's in place, the next thing is the plan. And, one, and why I talk about plan, I tell everybody out there, there's a, there's a process that's being used in Silicon Valley, a methodology, it's called the Lean Startup Principles. And Lean Startup is a process where the couple of things, one, the idea is, is to not run out of resources. Number two is to test and validate everything before you go do it so you realize what you're, where you're going as opposed to just throwing stuff out there. And uh, it's a whole methodology. And what you can do, here's a tip for everybody. There's a, there's a thing called the lean canvas. That's the lean canvas. And the lean canvas, you can get a lean canvas at leanstack.com leanstack.com and the lean canvas is a is a is a one-page business plan Hmm. and it's a process that you go through and i suggest everybody out there every artist go to lean stack it's free you can start a lean canvas it's nine questions go answer those nine questions once you know you have those nine questions in place it starts at the beginning of a strategy and a plan so i teach tell everybody the key is putting a plan together and that plan consists of 
uh, overall strategy and lean canvas can help you go study lean principles. I would also suggest reading a book called running lean, even though it's not about the music business, the process, the thinking, the methodology will be learned like crazy. Yeah. The idea is that you don't take the approach that Indiana Jones took, which is, you know, figure it out as you go along. Right. You'll end up nowhere fast. Well, right, because remember, one of the basic things of lean startup is to fail fast. So the idea is, is you want to get to a, a failure point as quick as possible if it's going to fail, so that you can re reposition, you know, your strategy. Yeah. So you can pivot. So this is all about how do I keep it? Don't spend a bunch of money. Figure out what I'm going to do. Get a plan in place, and then you can uh, you can execute it. The second part of that plan is. You're a media network, and this goes back to the question, why was I a social media world? Well, social media world, social media is not just a marketing tool anymore. It's your business. It's a business. There's not a business on the planet that's not, in, that's not a media company anymore. You haul trucks. They're the media company. They're posting. They have to. If you're not posting, you're not in the media business, you're going to be out of business. So social media is much more... Uh, than just a you know a way to communicate and fans. It's really a conversion tool in a way to you know kind of grow your business, and it is your business. Yep. And um, uh, so part of the the plan. Uh, then it goes down after we go through the plan, go through the things, put together a, you know a a good twelve month strategy, and put a media calendar together. So as a content creator, as a artist, you don't want to just throw up pictures and things all the time. I mean that's fine on your social media. But it's actually more productive and more valuable if you lay out a calendar and you organize it so that you're creating certain kinds of content around specific events. It uh, uh, could be uh, specific content for a specific week or around a project. But the whole idea is, is to really organize your stuff and think like a, like a television station because you know – NBC knows exactly what's going to go on Tuesday at four o'clock. Yeah. And it also helps you avoid those days where you sit there and you look at your clock and it's 4 p.m. and you scratch your head and you say, I got nothing to post today. I have no idea. I got nothing going on. And, you know, that's I set out my social media calendar a month in advance. And I do this with clients, too. You know, I've had clients that I'll say we're due for a new story in the homepage of your website. And they say, well, I don't have anything going on. And I say, yes, you do. What do I have going on? Let me write it for you. Let's hang up. I'll email it to you. But, you know, these things, as you're saying, Scott, these have to be planned in advance. It just can't be on a a whim. You know, when you say, "Okay, it's four o'clock, I need to come up with something for Facebook today. Well, there's no strategy involved there. Correct. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is part of the discipline of thinking like a startup business, like a, as an artist, you are a startup business. So if you have to start thinking and using those principles, you can learn all about this stuff. And one of the things that I try to tell everybody, you can find anything, just Google it. <laughs> That's right. That's you know, right. how to use Twitter for business, how to use Facebook for business, not just how to use it, but there's ways, there's all these different places and people that you can follow. So all the education you need is right there at your fingertips. Yep. I'm really surprised on how many artists and people don't really use use the search capabilities and find that that stuff. It's really interesting. So moving on with my thing. So story plan, you got your plan, you get organized. Then it comes down to army. Now, the thing that I propo- I'm a proponent of is really the whole idea of the thousand true fans. You probably heard that. Yep. A true fan is somebody that will spend $100 a year on you. If I have 1,000 of those fans... There's my first $100,000 in revenue. And the, my teach is you go small. You do not go large. You don't throw stuff out there and hope and pray. You be very targeted and you go small and build up your army. That's why the army is there. Your army is your super fans. And the super fans, we now know based on data, represent about 60 to 70% of your revenue will come from 5% of your audience. Yeah, and I would say to to the listeners who are musicians, differentiate the army from the street team because if you have a street team, that's great, but there's there's a distinct difference between what Scott is describing. The street team will help you out, but they might may, may not necessarily be willing to to spend at at the level that they need to be to be defined as a member of the army. Right. And so identifying your army, identifying your influencers. Who are the influencers that surround you? You might not even know that the people that come and show to your sh- come to your show. Do you know what they do? I mean, I've been amazed. I've had one artist 
I started having them kind of surveying their audience, their fans and stuff, found, oh, wow, one of them's a webmaster. Oh, another one's mm. a video editor. Wow. <laughs> and another wow. One's a, so you can start incorporating because being an artist today, you really have to have a team. And if you don't have the dollars, where's your team? It's going to be in those super fans. And like you said, some of the street team people, those are usually some form of a super fan. Uh, they're out working for you. They may not pay you, but they're out working for you. So it's really organizing, finding those people, being very strategic. And then once you have that, then you start building a repeatable process around those people on how to monetize them. Because the key, the key is if you're not monetizing, like I said, it's a hobby. Yep. So how do I generate revenue from these fans? And that's part of the strategy and thinking. And what, what you'll find is your super fans want to support you. Oh, and yeah. they're willing to write a check. Oh, yeah. They are willing. The question is, who are they and how do you find them? Yeah. Where are they? Right? So, uh, so then that's the, that becomes the army piece. They become, use them as people that can help you uh, run your business and can also be your word of mouth. But you really want to engage with them and make sure that they are, uh, you know, you're taking care of them and think. That's why go small, figure that out first. Build a repeatable process and how you communicate, collaborate, work with these people, generate revenue, and then you can scale from there. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a totally different thinking of like, oh, I'm going to throw everything out there and see what sticks. No, this is very targeted. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's your army. Then the next one is the C. This is the big one, conversion. Mm. If you're not converting these fans into paying customers, then you're missing it. <laughs> yeah, and you missed something back where you were supposed to analyze and pivot. Exactly. So the whole thing is when you say conversion, it's like, how do conversion funnels work? And some people say, well, what's a conversion funnel? Go to Google right now, yep. like conversion funnels. Because what we do know now, and it's very clear because we have data that we've never had access to before, that if you build the right kind of conversion funnels, you can actually convert fans or into customers and that's using conversion funnel techniques through using email systems and using different ways that you communicate. So the idea of a conversion funnel is, hey, the first time I, I let's say I have a, somebody likes my post, and then the second thing I do is I communicate with them, and then they communicate back with me. Then I give them someplace, I send them somewhere to do something, like go oh, click on this thing and sign up for my newsletter. If I get them to sign up for my newsletter, the newsletter has a has a uh, an auto respond that says, Hey, thanks for signing up. And then it moves them through a process to the point where you actually get them to buy what it is you're selling. Well, and then furthermore, because now they're in your funnel, now they're also going to become repeat buyers because of the system that you've built. Absolutely. So it's understanding conversion funnels, understanding the systems, email systems. You got to set up your infrastructure, which is the big key. And that's kind of what we're doing with Ignited is the infrastructure that we're putting in place to do exactly this space program for artists to help them do that with them out have, with not having to go out and try to build all this stuff for themselves, right? So that's the conversion. And then the last one is E of the space, and that's education. I can't stress this more that if you're an artist today, you got to get up every day. I teach, I teach this stuff, and I say the first two hours every day of your morning is you're reading. Hmm. You're educating yourself. You're finding those people. You're finding those blog posts. You're looking up and learning from, you know, how to use these social media tools for business. And those are the types of things that you can start doing and you start following people. So force yourself every day to get up and get educated because this market is moving so quickly. I mean, if people, if you're an artist and you're not, haven't heard of the blockchain, <laughs> you want to make sure you start learning what the blockchain is. You're already behind if you haven't. Right. And I'm telling you, this market moves so fast. Every 90 days, there's a shift. So the most important thing is for an artist is to be on top of what's going on in technology, what platforms, how to convert fans, how to grow my social media follower bases, all those things. Because at the end of the day, whoever owns the audience wins. Yeah. And you're seeing a massive shift from like record labels, like artists, and uh, there's a few artists I know that can't wait to get off their label. They've got big audiences now, and why should they give you know that eighty percent to the uh, to the label? Absolutely. And it's like eighty percent plus play all expenses is now. I have the audience as the artist. I'm just going to go direct and put the eighty percent in my pocket. 
So the key to this whole thing is really building audience. That's why social media is so important. That's why I was at social media world, always wanting to learn, stay up to date on what's happening out there. I, I actually spoke at that conference talking about space and these things because these are principles that can be applied basically to any business. Outstanding. Outstanding. And listeners, uh, we could stop here, and, and there's so much great information that Scott's given out, and, and of course the the fun stuff that we talked about before with uh, Pink Floyd and Supertramp and Toto. I used to, in the early days of this show, I used to tell people to go back and listen to episode 24 when Johnny Garcia was my guest. He's the lead guitar player for Garth Brooks, and Johnny did something similar on that episode, just really provided some terrific education, but uh, you're getting it here from Scott for sure. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is put yourself in the best possible position to be heard, meaning sound quality-wise, audio quality-wise, by having a good setup on your end when you're being interviewed. Don't be a snob and think that the host should have the proper facilities. Someone might call in to NHTE as a guest, but if it starts off bad on their end, there's only so much that I can do on this end to achieve good quality audio. A lot of people these days will say, make sure you use Zoom to come on my show, or make sure you use a handset. If you have something even better, it will sound great. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. That's really great to know, isn't it? Very helpful, right? Bruce gives out a tip just like that on every episode of this show, and there's an easy way to get all those that he gave out over the first 160 episodes. The ebook series called Bruce's Bonus Book contains four volumes, and they're all available for purchase and immediate download at www.brucesbonusbook.com. Order yours now for helpful tips that you can apply to your career right away. Scott, while we're kind of in this area, why don't we have you talk now about the Ignited Network? Explain to the listeners what that is. All right. So the whole the, this whole idea was, as I realized, uh, you know, finally said, I'm going to do one more startup. And I realized I wanted to go and help musicians because I felt that they're they're the least educated in this space. So after doing the radio show and doing a lot of interviewing and really studying, figuring out, I realized that we needed to build the platform that would really help artists um, build their business, kind of a business platform. And so Ignited Network is really a, it's a mobile and web uh, media network that you can launch in five minutes. Mm. And when you launch, you launch all your mobile apps, you launch your landing pages, and you launch your full-blown web infrastructure, your website. Wow. And what it is, is it's got a, subscri- it's a subscription business model. And part of the unique, it's all real time. So if you, if, I guess to try to describe it to listeners of what the experience would be like, imagine if you kind of combined Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook Live, because it has all live streaming. It's a real time app. So it's all real time communications, uh, messaging, alerts, notifications. But it's really about finding the super fans. So one of the unique pieces of our network is, is when you plug in your social network, because that's one of the things you use. You're setting up, connect all your social network to it. Mm-hmm. We go out and find your super fans for you. Wow. So instead of algorithms that goes out and identifies the right people that you should be spending your time with wow. first. That's right? powerful. Because that's, it is powerful because you can only handle so many people at a time. And you <laughs> want to find those ones that are the most advantageous to convert. And then they have to be invited. So this isn't a... It isn't an open network where everybody, you got to be invited okay. to join the network, right? And it's based on the thousand true fans. So the idea is, is to get your first thousand fans in the funnel because there's, a, there's a, a queuing system. Mm-hmm. So what happens is it allows you, you can, when if I go through and I look, my, look at my Twitter followers and I say, wow, here's my top 200 Twitter followers. These are the people I can invite them. They get sent to a landing page where they can sign up. And this goes directly through the, the the APIs or through the DM, through the DM in Twitter. And mm-hmm. you can DM directly from our app and say, hey, Bob, I see, man, you're like one of my pals, whatever. Come join my private network. And then mm-hmm. they come in. They, they go to a landing page. They sign up and they get in the queue. Once there's a thousand fans in that queue, you open the doors and everybody's in. And then you've got all the 
live streaming, media, you know, kind of the things that you would do in social media, but it's your private network, which has a subscription put on it. That's great. So you have That's to pay. Because remember, we got to make money as artists. <laughs> yeah, of course. Is the Ignited Network ready for people or, or is there a projected launch date? Yes. Yeah, we're, we're right now. We've just finished up beta and we're getting ready to launch. And I'm actually launching the first network. I'm launching my Pink Floyd network. <laughs> And uh, what I've done is I've, I've shot over 125, 30 hours of Pink Floyd videos and thousands of photographs and a massive amount of memorabilia. And what I'm doing is kind of creating the Pink Floyd network. And I'm actually uh, right now in the midst of putting a band together, which we're calling Think Floyd. <laughs> Think Floyd. Uh, I just played last week uh, with Norwood Fisher from Fishbone and uh, uh uh, was Steve Perkins from uh, Jane's Addiction and a bunch of us, and we actually did the whole Wish You Were Here album. Wow. And it was great because it's like our own twist on it. So we're not like a tribute band trying to do it like the record, mm -hmm, you know, like mm -hmm. stack copies like most of the tribute bands. This is more of a, it's, it, you know, we're being authentic, but at the same time, we're adding our own twist to the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I like fun. it. Yeah, so it's fun. So anyway, I've been launching my network. So as far as other people, we have a there's a uh, uh, a site you can go to where you can sign up because we don't let everybody in. We're looking for certain artists that have a certain criteria mm. uh, of followers and you know that are really set up to be a media network because you know there's comp companies like Patreon and all those you can sign up for, but this is really about those artists that really want to engage and have the social media numbers and stuff that they can actually really grow their business. I see. I like it. That that in itself makes you different because most people, especially someone in a startup, is going to say, we'll take anyone and everyone that we can get. So hats off to you for saying, no, we're actually going to screen somewhat. No, we screen a lot. I mean, again, even the people that I bring into my network, I put them through a whole form because what I'm looking for are specific types of people because just having a bunch of people isn't any good. I need to find the people that can actually be really beneficial to the network yeah. right? and add and be contributors and, and, and really make the thing flourish. And then I can scale from there. Again, it's all about going small, getting that target audience, get that process. How do I get them to continuously pay? Am I delivering them the content, the experience they want? Because remember, today you can't sell music anymore. Those days are over. Music is in the sale. What you're selling is the relationship because we know that the super fans, their number one thing that they're looking for, and this is based on data, is a direct, authentic relationship with their artist. Yeah, true engagement. True engagement. And that's why our platform is really designed as an engagement platform. I like we it. We kind of borrowed from Reddit. It's a little bit. So it's really about the conversation economy. It's a, it's a best of. You're, you're, you're launching something that's a best of, taking the, the, the parts of different platforms that have been done well and putting them all into one clearinghouse. Exactly. You know, that was the whole idea. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel there. We're just trying to bring the best feature sets to an artist so they can be successful and build their business. Well, Scott, I wonder, you have been called an early pioneer and innovator in new media. You mentioned before that, you know, David Gilmore would say, what are you doing? You'd say, I'm reading books on business. But I think it's helpful for those listeners out there who are trying to make a career in music to hear that even the most successful artists are doing other things besides just writing, recording, and performing music. What what was it at that time that made you decide, hey, I'm going to start, you know, looking at business instead of because you know you do hear about people that yeah, when they're on tour, this guy goes out and plays golf, or this guy's a big sports fan, and the, and here's Scott Page that's out on tour and he's reading business books. What made you choose I'm going to read business books in my downtime? Well, it's actually interesting. When I was younger, I always said I was going to have three careers. First, I was going to do music, then I was going to do business, and then I was going to do documentary. Mm. Well, I'm now in that documentary phase uh, <laughs> because I've got two storage bins filled with archives from all these tours and everything. I've been throwing stuff in boxes for years and uh, shooting video and photographs, and I've just now been going through it all, and it's mind-boggling to see all this stuff. So, But I actually planned that early, that I was, as I'm doing the music side, I wanted to get into the business side. My dad uh, was a serial entrepreneur. We had boat businesses, donut businesses, candy uh, businesses, okay. lighting businesses, uh, music businesses. Okay. We had that. He 
he, you know, he was a musician also. He was on uh, a show called The Lawrence Welk Show. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah. Early pioneer in television. <laughs> I, grew, I grew up in that family. I'm actually the only person on the planet that can say I played in Pink Floyd and Lawrence Welk. <laughs> <laughs> the dubious distinction. <laughs> yes, I'm the only guy in the world that has ever done both of them. <laughs> That's but, cool. That's cool. Uh, but you know, I just love, I just love the concept of business. And that's why with artists, you got a lot of them are like, ah, I don't want to do that business stuff. And I'm saying that's as much of a piece of the art as the art of music. So I combine the two. I say the art of business and the art of music collide. Mm. That's where you're really winning. Cause that's what it is. It's called the music business. Yeah. So we got to get the business part of it together. So I've just been a fan of business for so many years around it with my dad um, that I knew that I wanted to start some companies. And so I did in, in between the tour and Floyd, I started my company and 18 months later we took it public and it was a NASDAQ traded company. And, wow. you know, and it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, big time fun. You mentioned, uh, and listeners, you know, that, uh, by listening to this show, hopefully regularly that last year, uh, January of 2017, and then again, this past January, 2018, as well as last summer in Nashville, I have been attending the most recent NAM shows, and Scott, you mentioned that uh, you've you've been going, I believe, for a long time. Do you go to NAM just to see what's new, or do you visit with companies that you have endorsements with? Are you doing some other business there, or is it maybe a combination of all of those reasons? It's kind of a little bit of all of that, I guess. For me, right now, mostly why I go uh, to NAM was more about. Uh, you know, it's like old home week. Yeah. I run into everybody. I get to go see, you know, <laughs> companies that I've had endorsements with or still have endorsements with. And, you know, it's really about the fun. And this year we did a great thing. I guess myself and Norwood Fisher, I, the bass player from Fishbone, we held four nights at the House of Blues. And they were nights after NAM jams. And we had incredible, that place, we broke all the records, sold out jammed every night and we had incredible players we'll be doing it again this next year wow. it was such a success um and that was fun and it was for the harold robinson foundation a, a music organization that's helping kids in the inner city that's both uh norwood fisher flea and myself uh wow. are working on and so uh yes but that's why i go to nam and also because it's so big it's so hard to see what's going on there i mean i don't know if, if, you, if you haven't been you know that's a massive massive thing so for me it's that and then at the same time now with this year there was a you know kind of an emphasis on really starting to talk some of the artists uh, about our platform and so i use it okay. as a business okay. opportunity also right i wish i would have known that y'all were doing that at the house of blues because i was at the house of blues in january uh Tascam sponsored the metal allegiance show and so i was there uh, at the house of blues in anaheim to see metal allegiance and uh would have loved to come to, to what you were describing that you put together Listeners, I am joined today on the Now Here This Entertainment guest line by multi-instrumentalist, vocalist, speaker, entrepreneur, Scott Page. Visit his official website at IamScottPage.com. Of course, as is always the case with every guest on this show, we will have a link to his website on the show page for this episode. You can also find Scott on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And then for his company, the website that you want to check out is ignited.network. When you do hit our website, nhte.net, among other icons that you will see is one for the Patreon campaign for this show. If you would like to support Now Hear This Entertainment, please do consider joining the others that are contributing to this show that way. If you are getting value from this show today and each week, I hope that you will contribute at whatever you can afford. No amount is too small, or as Bill Murray said in Ghostbusters, no job is too big, no fee is too big. <laughs> <laughs> no fee is too big. <laughs> Scott, getting back to music, um, sure. you're also a founding member of Hang Dynasty, a band that brings together oh. sidemen from larger bands and whose membership includes a rotating cast of musicians. For some reason, that makes me think... Of episode 150 of this show, my guest was Mike Del Judas, who plays guitar on tour with Billy Joel, but he also has a tribute band called Big Shot that features a lot of current or former Billy Joel band members. Just tell the listeners a little bit more about Hang Dynasty. Yeah, well, see, the Hang Dynasty is something we created, gosh, myself, and actually the name came through uh, myself and a guy named Carl Verheyen, who's been in Supertramp. He's one of the Supertramp guitar players for 20 years now, I guess. Uh, but the Hang Dynasty was just really all our friends coming together, and it's made up of all a lot of different guys. I mean, the core is kind of Lee Scalar, 
you know, from Phil Collins band, uh, Jeff Beccaro used to do it years and years ago. It's been around, but I've got, uh, either Greg Bissonette or Steve Ferroni or, you know, it's all the great players, uh, Jeff Baxter from the Doobie brothers, Kenny Lewis, who's kind of my co, uh, or organizer of the band, uh, is from Steve Miller's band, you know, original member is still there after all these years. Uh, you know, Mike Finnegan, the tower of power horn. So it's a real, hmm. it's kind of a, it's a thing. We mostly just do, you know, kind of corporate gigs or mm-hmm. things like that. Where we did a couple of years, we played Microsoft's big parties and stuff. So it's a chance for all of us to get together. Edgar Winter plays with the band, which wow. is another one. But it's a smoking band. These are all just incredible players. And, uh, you know, we kind of mix and match it with who's around and who can make the gig. And we go in. It's mostly R&B and rock and roll, but it's, it's a lot of fun for and sure. And was that who you played with at the uh, Temecula Festival a few years ago? Was that? Uh, Hang yeah, Dynasty? that was the Hang Dynasty with uh, with uh, uh, Alan Parsons. So wow. we so Alan wow. was part of it, and we kind of backed him. We did his songs, plus we did our Hang Dynasty stuff. Wow. Yes. Well, yeah. I, I mentioned Billy Joel's band. Follow, follow mm-hmm. me on this. Uh, on episode one seventy of this show, my guest was Carl Fisher, who plays trumpet on tour with Billy Joel. Last okay. week, my guest was David Longoria. He's an award winning singer, composer, and trumpeter. And, and heck, as I mentioned last week. Uh, way back on episode 57, my guest was trumpeter Ron Modell. Scott, I know you play lots of different instruments, but I don't know, for some reason, and, and this really isn't based on anything but intuition, I feel like maybe horn players are a tight-knit community. Am I right on that, or, or have I blown it and nothing could be further from the truth? You know, you know, I think it's, you know, because, well, you know, again, horn players, what happens is is they'll play together in sections, so they see themselves. If you're a bass player in a band, you show up at the gig, there's not other bass players. Uh. So they don't really hang out. But horn players, when you if it's a section thing, you know, four or five guys, horn players are a little more, I think, a little tighter in that sense because they they're they can be called on the same gig. So, you know, that's interesting again, for me. Yeah. Again, for me, my whole thing is I'm so involved in my business. I'm just not out there as much, although I am playing with a few bands right now, uh, doing some things with other players. But uh you know, I'm, it's a lot different for me now because I'm just, like I said, I'm so in, in just it's swamped with my business sure, side. Of sure. I'm not, I'm not out in the scene in the same way as I was before. By the way, listeners, I said this last week, but it bears repeating. We're up to uh, episode 222 here. So I hope you know by this wow. time that any time on NHTE that I refer to a past episode, we have links to those on the show page for that episode at nhte.net. So all those that I've mentioned today, we will have links to on the Scott Page episode 222 page on our site. Uh, Scott, I just want to get back to what you just finished saying there, because I do wonder with all the business dealings that you do seem to have going on these days, you know, where are you with performing live in terms of if someone were to call you today and ask you to go on tour with them for, say, the next year, are those days over, or is it a case of if the opportunity was right, Bruce, I, w- I would jump on it? That day is pretty much over anything that kind of length of time. I've been doing some gigs. I actually just got back from the Canary Islands uh, last week. I was there, uh, and I did some gigs in Italy. I went to Lebanon this last year, China. So I, I still go out and do dates, but I don't go out. I can't go out for like – there's just no way I could go out to do a year yeah. thing anymore. Um, I did get called from one a while ago potentially to do a, a tour, but it was you know six weeks, eight weeks. If it's the right thing, I could probably go out and do that. But any kind of a year long thing is I just there's just no way because I have I have responsibility to my shareholders. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't be very happy if I was the whole time. Yeah, as much as you can convince them that in 2018 everyone can work remotely, it's just not going to fly. <laughs> not quite the same, right? <laughs> now, if it was one of those where you go out for the weekend, you come back home, you know, one of those kind of gigs, like I did back in the day with Seals and Croft, I might be able to work something out, but really need to, you know, because we can. What's good is we can virtually do a lot of work. As long as I can get back and talk face-to-face with certain people, I could probably get away with that. But, yeah, no more year-long tours for me. But so who were these shows that you just referred to, the Canary Islands, Italy, places like that? Who well, were you- interesting is we've been, you know, uh, several of us from Floyd have been getting called to do some of these Pink Floyd tribute bands and stuff. Uh-huh. For There's some really interesting ones, and some of them are for charity events and things like okay. that. So. We've been doing some of those, and they're actually fun. Some really good players, and it's it's fun to to go over there and hang with my buddies and play these shows. And yeah, it's been it's been kind of interesting. Yeah, that's nice. 
Well, we're about to wrap up, Scott, but just one more piece of advice for the up-and-comers who are listening. I, I want to brag about you a little bit. Scott and I were trying to connect with each other to set this up, and he was extremely kind. In his first email reply to me, he started off with, hello, my friend. Now, mind you, he and I had never met. And then when we talked on the phone, you were just as nice. I, I want the aspiring performers to take something away from that because we are just meeting, but I feel like this just like I feel like this must just be your way and not that you're just being nice to me because we had some mutual acquaintances is is the message here that no matter who you are in the business you should always be gracious when an opportunity comes your way I uh, you know I I truly believe that I mean I feel like I'm the most blessed human being that ever lived and very grateful and thankful for you know the life that I've been able to have it's been extraordinary and it's not always been easy <laughs> but I am very thankful for that and you know, I just enjoy people and I, I try to bring that kind of spirit where I am because there's just when I through the years, I ran into specific musicians. And what's what's interesting, there's so many musicians that are, you know, they get so full of themselves. Mm. <laughs> I hate to say it's just great. <laughs> they think it's going to go on forever and everything's going to happen. And uh, I kind of go, you know, guys like Greg Bissonette, you know, the drummer, one of the nicest yeah. human beings you'll ever meet in your life, you know, just a, a pure joy to be around. And I just, you know. For me, the whole thing is about the ride, right? It's not about the outcome or where it's going to go or what's going to happen and will I this. It's all about getting up every day and just, you know, making sure that the step you take, which is the only one that's real, is the one that's you, me, and talking right now, right? If you really think about it at the deepest level, the only thing that's real is you and me talking right now, <laughs> right? Everything else is an illusion. Wow. Ten minutes ago, I can't touch that. Five minutes from now, I can't touch that. Wow. So I try to make sure that that step that I'm taking every day is as high quality, and I like to try to bring lift lift things up. And I think by trying to stay really positive and upbeat about things is you know it served me well through the years. And it, I don't do it because it's like I'm trying to do. I just do it because I like people and I enjoy people. And you never know where things are going to come from. That's right. And you That's never right. know who you're going to you know who you might have pissed off on the way up. Exactly. You run back into them again on the way down. <laughs> so, I love it. You know, I love it. That's the key. So, yeah, I, you know, I will always be a, promote, a proponent of, uh, you know, being kind and treating people right. I think that's a really important trait. Good stuff. Especially in business. In business, yeah. too. It attracts people that will be, uh, you know, more positive and look at you at the same way. So, well, thank you. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate you saying that. Though, yeah, that yeah, was, for uh, sure. Yeah, made an impression on me. Absolutely. Uh, uh, we're awesome. going to close today with Dogs of War by Pink Floyd. You mentioned early in the interview that this is one of your favorite songs to play on. But just before we let you go, just talk a little bit about this song, if you would. Here, here, here's, a, here's a funny story. So when I get called to go in and do this this record, and this is when we were working on tape. So it was two-inch tape. We didn't have Pro Tools where you had unlimited tracks. <laughs> and so I go in there and I said, okay, hey, guys, can you humor me and give me like three or four tracks? Don't tell me what to do. Let me just play this thing top to bottom, right, and see what happens. Just point to me when the solo comes, and otherwise I'm just going to noodle through this. I never heard it. I'm going to see what's going to happen, right? So they said, okay, three or four tracks, and the engineer says, well, I'm going to have to erase some tracks. And he, wow. they had to erase, like, three of my – they had three other saxophone players come in and play all my biggest heroes. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, like Dave Sanborn. Oh, my gosh. Tom Scott. Uh, I can't remember all the guys, but they had like a bunch of guys come in. And I guess it just didn't work for them for some reason. Not that they weren't great saxophone because they are. I mean, they blow circles around me, but I guess they were looking for something that was maybe a little more raw and less sophisticated. Right? <laughs> That's I try to I try to make sure that I I do that. So anyway, uh, I saw them erase those tracks, and my heart went into my stomach because uh, these are my heroes of all time. Like the guys I'm on my knees bowing to on a daily basis. And they're going to race those tracks and let me put it on top. Wow. Uh, so anyway, I did it and um, ended up, it ended up being uh, that solo is, is actually a combination of two, uh, take one and take two. Mm. And uh, it was combined. First, first take on the first half, second half was the second take combined, bada bink, we're done. And that was it. <laughs> so there you go. Nice, nice. Well, Scott, thank you ever so much. I uh, really enjoyed this and uh, grateful for your time talking to me. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. And hey, everybody, good luck in their music career. That's what I'm telling you. Go for it. Be unafraid.
Nice. Listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to multi-instrumentalist, vocalist, speaker, entrepreneur, Scott Page. Do visit his official website at IamScottPage.com. Do engage with him on social media. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Maybe even let him know that you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment. Remember that Scott has his own YouTube channel as well. And do check out Ignited.network. Again, I am doing this show every week to entertain those of you who are fans of the guests or of good music and music interviews in general, but also to help educate the listeners who are working to make a go of it with their music career. If you feel I'm delivering on that to you, I would sincerely appreciate you supporting NHTE through our Patreon campaign. You can find that by clicking on the Patreon button at nhte.net or just go directly to patreon.com slash nhte. Thank you ever so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. We'll send you out with the song that Scott just talked about. This is Dogs of War by Pink Floyd.